You're listening to the Health Call Radio Hour, where doctors, researchers, authors, nutritionists, and top health professionals share the latest news about staying well and living better. The information you hear today is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, but it's always timely, credible, interesting, and best of all, there's never a copay. Now, here's your host, health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. It is great to be with you again. Thank you so much for tuning in. The next time you're out having coffee with friends, throw this question on the table and then see what happens. Ask, how many people struggle with understanding medical bills? You better make sure you have plenty of time to spare because almost everyone has a story to tell. Medical bills are a key point of frustration and not just for patients. The billing mess we all face is a key reason doctors are leaving traditional health care and going it alone as independent direct primary care practitioners. These are family doctors who often offer patients a subscription or membership to their practice. You pay a flat monthly fee for all the care you need. I call it the Netflix of medicine. Billing hassles and the bureaucracy of healthcare are two things that Dr. Jared Wegman wanted to escape when he opened Indiana Direct Primary Care. Now, full disclosure here, I have become a member of his practice. I pay $99 a month for the ability to reach Dr. Wegman whenever I need him, as often as that happens to be. That includes dragging him in front of the microphone from time to time to talk about this new movement in healthcare. We all know that medical billing can be a nightmare for patients, but what's it like for the typical doctor? It is a nightmare, really, because as a physician, we really want to be able to take care of patients. And when the focus for hospitals that employ physicians is really more the billing aspect of it, they tend to drag the physicians through their billing courses and classes. And, and you know, it's not just billing, it's also something called coding. So you have to code the visit and then Based on the coding, if you don't code it correctly, you can't bill it. And so it goes, it's this game back and forth. So when we spend a lot of time trying to figure out, well, how are we going to bill this patient, you know, this amount for this visit to make this salary, it becomes frustrating. And that's not what medicine should be about. So a lot mm -hmm. of doctors are moving on to direct primary care where we can control uh, how things happen. We can control how billing exist because we don't have to go through insurance companies. We don't have to go through the big hospital systems. And we can really focus on the patients. And then we can provide the patients also with a lot of transparency and what the pricing is going to be. Yeah, and that's certainly missing in the other side of the world. We'll talk about that in just a second. So each procedure gets a CPT code, which then goes to the insurance company for payment, right? So you've got different layers here. You've got coders and then billers, and sometimes they're combined. But those CPT codes can really be a confusing mess. And I've read, and confirm for me if it's true, that that is a big part of the problem with billing errors and, and fraudulent billing sometimes. Yeah. One of the things that we deal with a lot is trying to figure out the correct codes for the correct diagnoses. Uh, the insurance companies like to play this shell game where, you know, every three months or so, they may change which CPT codes they pay for. So there are so many CPT codes out there for different things. So let's say you have diabetes, for instance. You know, there mm -hmm. under diabetes, there's, I don't even know how many there are, 50 or more uh, different codes that you can get with that. And so you want to be as specific as possible based on the code and the diagnosis that the person has. 
or as specific as you can be, because you know the hospitals want you there because of the more specific and the more detailed it is, the more they can bill for it. But mm-hmm. the insurance company will play this shell game of, well, we're going to pay for it this month, but next month we won't pay for that one. You have to you have to change it to this one. So what ends up happening is that you bill that same CPT code. The insurance company says, oh, we don't cover that anymore. And then that bill gets shot off to the patient. It's no longer covered. So all of a sudden their bill, you know, triples in price. And patients don't know any better. They don't know that the code just needs to be rebuilt under a different number. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I have read that insurance companies are also pushing back against some CPT codes. So um, and that has led to the creation of, am I correct on this, scribes who come into the exam room with you and help the doctor get the notes into the system right to make sure the right CPT code is applied so they can bill at the highest amount? Correct. So when you look at those CPD codes, there are certain ones where you can um, really push the limits on what's going on with the patient. So, for instance, in the hospital, there's something called acute respiratory failure. So to me, and and as a layperson, acute respiratory failure means somebody can't breathe. Somebody needs Mm -hmm. to be, you know, maybe put on a breathing machine. But when you really look at the diagnosis code and what it's explained at, it's, you know, a patient that requires oxygen at a certain level that didn't require oxygen before. And so based on that, if you come in the hospital, you have pneumonia and you're not normally on oxygen, then all of a sudden you're on four liters of oxygen. You know, that can be classified as acute respiratory failure. And the hospital likes to bill that because that's a really high payment coming back. Hmm. So it's a little bit of a game. And so those scribes are there to pick up those extra little details. And amazing. So all of those extra fingers in the pie, so to speak, do help drive the cost of healthcare. So in, in your practice, you just set your own cost. You're an business person, right? So yeah, I'm not a business person at all. I, you know, very simple model that we have in direct primary care. And it's, it's shared amongst the direct primary care practices for the most part. You know, direct primary care practices are very uh, into helping one another and helping patients get into the system. So when you look at it, you know, yes, we're quote unquote for profit, which, you know, a lot of hospitals are not for profit, but people get confused by that too. Mm-hmm. For profit doesn't mean I'm there to make a million dollars a year. It means I'm there to cover salaries. It means I'm there to cover the cost of doing business. So basically, I looked at what the cost of doing business was for the model that we have, realized based on you know the care that we can give, what that would cost me. And, and it, basically, we just give that to the patients and say, here it is. This is, in our practice, is $99 a month. But that's, for the most part, all inclusive for anything we can do at our office. We don't, you know, charge for every little piece. Uh, you know, you talked about the Netflix of healthcare earlier. Uh, we don't want to be the allegiant of healthcare where you pay for your flight, but then also have to pay for your seat and your bag and, you know, get on the plane first. And that's not how we want to work. Uh, we really want yeah. people to know what their costs are up front and, and be very reasonable about it. You know, the transparency thing, I've got a great example, personal example. My wife went to, um, an appointment for just her hormone replacement therapy, an annual appointment. They took some blood to check for uh, hormone levels. She got the invoice. The lab work alone was $718. And the insurance allegedly paid $618 of that, leaving us with just $100. Okay, fine. I looked at the CPT codes and then went out online because, you know, I'm that kind of a nerd. I went out online and found a guide that told me what it should be billed. It was billed at 
way over what Medicare would pay. So we paid $318 while the insurance company did, allegedly, for each of those hormone tests. I sent you the CPT codes. What, what would I have paid in your office? Yeah. So after you sent me those, I was really shocked. And I, was, I was actually curious because those weren't tests that I run on a daily basis. So I, I looked them up and both the tests were around $18 a piece. $18 is what I would have paid. Yep. So, well, eight thirty-six, but for both. So I ended up paying $100 out of pocket for tests that really should have cost somewhere around 30 bucks. Yeah. And so most insurance companies, at least once a year, will allow for a normal physical and normal blood work uh, based on that. A lot of my patients have three $5,000 deductibles. So when we get past that initial, quote unquote, free lab that they get the first time, I always give them the option. I, I tell them, you know, through my clinic, these labs are going to cost you such and such amount, which is typically less than $50. And I would tell them, I don't know what your insurance covers. I don't know what my insurance covers for the most part. Uh, so you can take the chance of me, you know, sending it to your insurance company and seeing what it is, or we can just pay the $50 out of pocket, you know, through our system. That's your choice. And I'll be honest, most of them just choose to pay the cash. You heard Dr. Jared Wegman and I talk about CPT codes there. They are the backbone of medical billing. The next time you get a bill, look for the CPT code and then go online. It's easy to find out what Medicare would pay for that service in your area and compare that to what you were billed. Better yet, visit guru.com, that's G-U-R-O-O.com, and you can search by procedure to see the typical cost in your area and then compare that to the national average. I'll leave a link in the show notes that you can find online. Just go to healthcall.live or look in the show notes of today's podcast episode. When we come back, we'll look at how employers are using this new, transparent, flexible way of seeing the doctor to reduce healthcare costs while giving employees more personalized care. That's coming up next right here on the Health Call Radio Hour. You're listening to the Health Call Radio Hour, your regular weekend appointment with top healthcare professionals, where every session is painless and we never keep you waiting. Now back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Welcome back. We are digging into what it's like when it's just you and your doctor in the exam room and you're not bothered by the billing policies and all the regulations of the health insurance company. Dr. Jared Wegman of Indiana Direct Primary Care left the traditional world of medicine to join the direct care movement. His patients pay $99 a month for all the office visits, phone calls, texts, video chats, whatever you need. No insurance, no billing hassles. Dr. Wegman says employers are discovering this whole movement and that its flexible membership-based care can save them money without jeopardizing care for their employees. There used to be what we called employer-based clinics where, you know, entire companies would hire a doctor to be and do their primary care for them. And they, you know, their doctor, their um, employees would then go to their doctor. And so that... Yeah, to the company doctor. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's evolved. You know, that doesn't really exist anymore. So what companies have done now with the way the healthcare prices and insurance prices are going up, they're looking at alternatives. How can they save money? And so one way to save money is to have less claims on their insurance. They know that they have to have insurance to attract employees, and it's important for them to also keep their employees healthy. So what they found is when they partner with direct primary care practices, you know, for a per employee 
fee, they have a known amount of money that they're going to come out of pocket every month for that. None of those claims go against their insurance. And 90% or more of the visits that their uh, employees need go through that clinic. So that reduces significantly the amount of claims they have in their insurance. And people think, oh, well, what happens when I need to see a specialist care? And yeah. we've talked a little bit about this before. You know, there are a lot of things that primary care doctors can do that they don't have to send to specialties. In direct primary care practice, we have so much more time with those visits that we can take care of a lot of those things. I have patients in my practice that were used, used to seeing their specialist four times a year. They often would tell me, I don't want to go back four times a year because I see the doctor once a year. They do some management decisions once a year. The other three times, they're really just following things, which I totally get. That's important. But those kind of things can be done in the primary care doctor's office. So if we can eliminate three subspecialty visits for that goes against the insurance, that's less claims they have. The patients still get the good care that they need. And they also it also gives the subspecialist room to see new patients because they're mm -hmm. so congested right now. You know, if you want a new patient visit with a subspecialist in any big city that I've seen, you're going to look at three months or more. It's crazy. And there are a lot of things that people just assume a specialist has to do that I know you, your people in your line of work, uh, the direct primary care, are capable of doing joint injections with uh, corticosteroids. And those things don't have to be done by a specialist. No, there are certain things that we are trained to do that can easily be done in our offices that we don't have to send out. And oftentimes you can yeah, most people don't recognize that, but e even if they thought about it, when you go to the orthopedist's office, many times for those injections, there's a PA or a nurse practitioner doing those things. You know, the doctors don't even focus on those small procedures anymore because they don't have time for them. Well, yeah. if you're going to do that, why not just stay with your primary care doctor who is more than qualified to do it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so as, as if I'm a small business owner and I want to know more about this, um, I might be a little concerned, as you said, about specialist referrals. I don't want to have to my pay, my employees to feel as though they're getting a substandard of care. Are there direct primary care specialists that I could that you partner with? How how would that happen if I did, for example, need to see a neurologist? Sure. So direct primary care is starting to cross boundaries between just primary care and specialty care. It is a slower movement across the country just because, again, direct primary care, even though it's been around in primary care, has been there for a long period of time. The subspecialists are just starting to figure out how the model can work for them. So when we see it as it crosses across the country, what ends up happening is like through my electronic medical record, for instance, which, you know, as we went through the pandemic, everybody learned how to do televisits pretty, pretty quickly. Um, so through the electronic medical record that I use, they've actually partnered with some of these people across the country. And through our electronic medical record itself, we can reach out to those individuals who do televisits in a direct primary care model. So neurology, for instance. The other great thing about that is just like direct primary care, those prices are all transparent up front. So if it's a neurology visit, they may be $180 for that one visit. They may also, let's say somebody needs to be routine visits with a neurologist. So they see them monthly for whatever reason. They offer a lot of times a monthly fee that's lower than that as well. Hmm. So these are all things that are coming across as doctors realize how good a model this is, how good it is for not just the patient, but also for the doctor. So in that, let's just stick with that neurology example. Um, 
can the neurologist do what they need to do remotely? Do you act as their hands and eyes and interact with it? Tell me how a lot of that comes out. Yeah, so oftentimes we can do that and partner with them to, you know, do exam features. A lot can be done, you know, virtually as far as just visually. And a lot of it's just history taking, of course. But there are some exam features, obviously, that uh, they cannot, you know, do uh, and pursue. So th that's the things that the primary care doctor can actually help with. You know, we can be their eyes and ears, you know, in the clinic with the patient while they're doing the visit if that's needed. Interesting. Um, what else is out there? Take a look into the future. Give me an idea where you think this is all headed. That's a tough question because direct primary care practices are unique from the aspect that we limit the number of patients that we see. And that is a pretty strict tenant for direct primary care to this point. The reason for that is, is we spend more time with patients. And the more patients you have in your panel, the less time you can see with each one of them. So when you broaden that and try to make it something uh, much bigger than they sort of niche market, that's tough because there are a lot of patients out there that need to be seen and not enough providers for this kind of model. So mm -hmm. is it ideal for the patients that can get into this kind of model right now? Yes. Is how do we make it a bigger system? I don't know the answer to that yet. And I think that's the question we have yet to um, approach. So, you know, direct primary care may be leading to something else, but I think this is a good way to start. What might be a condition that is not appropriate? Or let me rephrase that question. What are conditions that you feel very comfortable handling that people might think are complex and need specialty care? So I think there are a number of general health conditions that people have been uh, conditioned that they need a certain subspecialist. So for instance, an irregular heart rate called atrial fibrillation uh, that is something a primary care doctor can easily manage, although they tend to get shipped off to the cardiologist for that. Now, there are certain cases within that uh, condition where they do need to see a cardiologist, uh, things that are more difficult to control, and that's totally understandable. Same thing with diabetes. Uh, a lot of people will get shipped off to an endocrinologist for diabetes care, which is great. Again, it's perfectly uh, manageable in the primary care doctor's office, but there are certain versions of those that are difficult to control where the endocrinologist is appropriate. Uh, so mm -hmm. if you're some of those patients that exist in, in that realm where you're not just the typical diagnoses, but you have a more difficult to control version of that, those are patients we can see and help manage their overall care. Because again, all patients need someone to be their kind of homeroom teacher, so to speak. The one that, you know, manages all the different subspecialties and make sure that, you know, their heart doctor and their endocrinology are arguing over what type of, you know, blood pressure medicine that they're on. Uh, because I've seen it before where, you know, the heart doctor will put them on, you know, a certain type of blood pressure medicine. The kidney doctor puts them on a certain type of blood pressure medicine. They're the same medicine, but now they're taking two because one didn't know what the, the other one was doing. And so yeah. the patient didn't, you know, didn't relay that information. So now all of a sudden they're at risk to be overtreated for something purely because there wasn't a homeroom teacher. <laughs> yeah, homeroom teacher. I kind of like that one. Dr. Jared Wegman's office is located near the Kroger store at Coventry Plaza here in Fort Wayne. It seems the risk of going it alone is paying off for him. More patients like me are enrolling, drawn to a doctor who has time to listen and get to the source of the problem, not just treat the symptoms. You can find him online at indianadirectprimarycare.com. When we come back, why ignoring hearing loss may be increasing your risk of dementia. 
And we'll look at whether those new over-the-counter hearing aids are worth a try. They can save you money, but is that really enough? We'll find out more as we continue right here on the Health Call Radio Hour. Podcasts by Federated Media. 